Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Alexandra Stockwell, MD, and she's a lung tree and love intimacy mentor. And we'll go into that, what that means in a minute. She's known as the intimacy doctor. She specializes in showing couples how to build beautiful, long-lasting, passionate relationships. She is the best-selling author of Uncompromising Intimacy and host of the highly acclaimed The Marriage Cup podcast. For over 30 years, Alexandra has shown men and women how to bring pleasure and purpose into all aspects of their lives, from the daily grind of running a household to clear and intimate communication and to ecstatic experiences in the bedroom. A wife of 35 years, a mother of four, Alexandra believes the key to passion and fulfillment, intimacy and success, isn't compromise. It's being unwilling to compromise. We're going to have to get into that. Because when both people feel free to be themselves and know how to love, and be loved for exactly who they are. The relationship is juicy, nourishing, and deeply satisfying. Alexandra has been featured in the Huffington Post, Rolling Stone, USA Today, Cosmopolitan, Business Insider, Thrive Global, Fox News, New York City, and a lot of other publications. Welcome, Alexander. Thank you. That is such a deliberate, delicious way of delivering the introduction. You know, I always like to give people their kudos, and you certainly deserve extreme kudos. And I'm going to start with one question. A woman like you, obviously has had to climb a mountain of adversity to get there. Tell us about climbing that mountain. You know, it's a very interesting question because I don't identify with having climbed a mountain of adversity in the usual way. I know that everything I'm about to say exists and by saying that it's not something I'm aware of having experienced, I'm not in any way diminishing what other people have experienced. I know that this is profoundly common, but I'm not aware of having experienced sexism in the workplace or um, any kind of undue hurdles than what than what one might as one might imagine. In fact. All of the adversity that I have needed to struggle with has been my own internal voices, the things that 
people wouldn't know are happening unless they were joining me in my head. Even down to this may make an impression on you. When I was in medical school in, this would have been in 1995, that I was in my third year of medical school. And at the time, there was one man who had become a father during the four years of medical school. But otherwise, there wasn't a single medical student who had children. And my husband was in medical school with me and I was pregnant. And I remember going to my dean, just quaking in my boots, wondering if because we had had a child coming, if that would mean the end of my career in medicine. I really didn't know if I would continue to have a spot in the school. And I also knew very clearly that I wanted to take a year off between my third and fourth years of training because I didn't want to have a baby and go back two weeks later and never see her. So I went to my dean so nervous and he was lovely. He had been married twice and the first marriage ended because he was putting too much of himself into his work. And he knew the consequences and he went on to get divorced. He married again, he had two children and he gave me his blessing. He said, take the year off. You can do fourth year when she's 10 months old. And it was so easy, though unexpected. That, that is unexpected. You know, I'm a doctor and my wife is a doctor as well. And we had our first child in medical school and uh, my wife delivered. Fortunately, she was doing a rotation for her father in radiology at that time. So oh. she was able to take some time off for that. Fortunately, Lucy's mother is a genuine person. And she said, of course, I'll take care of your daughter. I'd love to take care of your daughter. So we had built-in babysitter in, in Lucy's mother. But she didn't have time to do that. And fortunately, she had some rotations that were pretty light right at the start and that she can do uh, both mothering and being a doctor. That is amazing. What year would that have been? You know, we graduated in the class of 83. So that would have made 1982. I am just in awe. And it's my story isn't one that I talk about that often. I don't know if I've ever shared it on a podcast and I've been interviewed. I don't know, hundreds of times, but it seemed relevant to share with you. And I'm so glad to hear your story because I just, I didn't know anyone. And I think one of the biggest issues that comes up is a sense of isolation and a sense of there's nobody like me, which is what any woman rising through the ranks is going to experience. And I think in that anticipated isolation, sometimes the worst nightmares come true. And sometimes it's actually very smooth sailing, which was my experience, other than whatever I needed to navigate in my own head, which I think we all face. We all well, face you know, mindset challenges. You know, we all deal with fear. And I think the word fear really is an eponym that stands for false expectations appearing real. Yes. 95% of what we're really afraid of never really happens. Yes. 
And it's so easy to see that in hindsight, but the false things really do appear real when we're caught in the throes of it. I think that's where we can help people so much because of course it's essential for people to continue to grow and evolve their trust in themselves. But when experiencing fear, it's beautiful to put just a little bit more trust in a coach or a mentor who can see that it really is false. Well, let me tell you a little story. Okay. Uh, I've I, I won a Quilly Award in Los Angeles. A Quilly Award is the equivalent of an Academy Award for best-selling authors. And I won a, that for a book called The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Now, I live in Edmonton, Alberta, and I have to travel to Los Angeles, California. My wife is very opposed to me going. So I told her, I will think about it and I'll let her know during this week whether I'm going. And she said yesterday, are you going? I said, dear, I think I have to. I think it's good for my career. And I think you only win an Academy Award once. And I think it, and I said, would you help me? She said, of course, I'll help you. I still don't like it that you're going, but I'm going to help you. There was no knock them down, drag them down fight. There was no arguing. There was no that. She said, I'll get your bags ready. Make sure you put everything together that you want. But she said, of course, I'm going to help you. I do not think you should go. I don't think you're safe with COVID, but I'll let you do what you need to do. And were you surprised? It is a remarkable story, but I can't tell how it feels in you. The answer is I'm relieved because, you know, being married for 38 years, we certainly have had differences of opinion over our lives. Of course, yes. And they've yes. never resolved in such a nice way. I mean, sometimes we yell, sometimes we shout, sometimes we go through the ugly things that go on in disagreements. But, you know, after 38 years, I think we've learned ways to communicate better that help each other out. You know, that points me to something that I think people often miss because our brains, our neurology are wired to focus on things which aren't working rather than the things which are working. And what that means is that when there's a challenge in a relationship, typically someone is much more focused on that. Or if a spouse does something and it hurts our feelings or doesn't work for us in some way, that is something we are likely to hang on to so much longer with respect to the feelings brought up than that feeling of loveliness and relief that you experienced. And it is so important to keep those kinds of experiences front and center in our mind as well. And you know, Alexandra, I deal with things different than my wife. When we have a fight, it bothers me far more than it does her. I gunny sack and I carry it with me to bring it back over and over and over again. For her, the fight's done and it's over with. So different patterns have different ways of dealing with them. Yes, and I'm sure that she knows that about you as well and then can decide when she's available to do you a favor and discuss it. And when it's just up to you to manage how you feel with your own responsibility. Well, we've learned how to disagree amicably. 
We've learned how to work things out amicably despite our disagreements. And we've learned to do things well. And you know, this, this 18 months of COVID isolation actually mm. was good because it's actually helped us to do more together. You know, we used to live in different, work in different places. We used to do things. I used to work in an office. My wife used to work in an office. We now both work from home. We now are the, in, but you know, we have a big house. We don't have to see each other all day if we don't want to, but we make time to see each other at lunch. And we certainly make a point of getting supper together. So we have learned that although we both have busy existences, it's better this way for us to do things. And it sure is nice not to have to commute anymore. Yes, of course. Although I have to say, without commuting so much, I miss out on my podcast listening. That is the main loss with the loss of commute. But I think I didn't put gas in my car for, I don't know, eight months last year. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area and we were among the first to close down and among the last to open up. So, yeah, and in fact, we've been able to downsize from two cars down to one because mm. we're finding one car is sitting all the time. So, I gave my son-in-law a very nice Lexus automobile, which he's very happy about. That's a nice benefit from COVID for him. So, in coming to have amicable disagreements. Are there ways in which you feel that you end up compromising or accommodating or well, how does that work? I think we both get a benefit of that, but I want to listen to your concept of okay. uncompromising <laughs> intimacy. Can you tell me about that? Yes, I can. As you likely know, the around the world, certainly in North America, but I think the whole world, the most common relationship advice that is given is that if you want a good relationship, you have to learn to compromise. And the secret to a great marriage is to learn to compromise. And compromise is useful, but what it gets is a kind of neutral, bland, conflict-free companionship, which is invariably also passion-free, because in learning to, to compromise and not speak up about what you want so that it doesn't disturb your partner and essentially leave aspects of yourself outside of the relationship, that functions to keep the peace. But when you get to the bedroom, there is no flip, a switch to flip. There's no way if that's how you interact day to day to then suddenly be self-expressed and fully present and able to to enjoy it all because you're used to relating with your partner in a way that is incomplete and so of course there's a well-known phenomenon of passion dissipating with the decades 5, 10, 20, 40 years into marriage. And what I have found personally in my 25-year marriage and in hundreds of couples I coach, that the key to really change that is to be 
uncompromising in day-to-day interactions. But I would be incomplete if I didn't say what I mean by uncompromising, because uncompromising does not mean being dominant or bullying or always getting your own way, not at all. What I mean by uncompromising is that you share the fullness of what you want, of how you think, how you feel, what you desire. And you make room for your partner to do that too. So you both have all of the information and then can really collaborate on the best solution. Because it is real that if let's say one person always wants Italian, let's say a husband always wants Italian and a wife really wants to have Thai food, she will get in the habit of not bringing that up so as not to inconvenience him. There are small ways in which this happens and big ways. And it takes attention for both people to feel safe enough to share the truth of what they desire. I understand. You know, my wife absolutely detests country and Western music. Uh Uh-huh. I was born in Calgary, Alberta, the home oh, yes, of country yes. and Western music. So I tell my wife, there's only two types of music, country and Western. And what does she say? <laughs> she laughs and she says, well, we'll listen to something else today. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a good relationship. You know, we both could live in our desire for music, it, it, it really doesn't, it doesn't upset one person to have a, a, a like of something, despite the other person not sharing it. Yeah, well, there's a way in which what you described could be a form of compromise, and it also could be a form of being uncompromising. It really just depends how it lives in you. And It sounds like neither one of you is holding back. Neither one of you is faking it. Neither one of you is making the other person's experience more important because you're both getting what you want while acknowledging your differences. Yeah, exactly. That's what a good functioning relationship should be like. It really shouldn't be hurtful in that way, but it should be something that each person enjoys. Yes. And... It shouldn't be hurtful. Like, I think that is a well understood reality. And when taken to the extreme, like we know narcissism is bad. We know being dominant, hurting other people is bad. It is bad. There's nothing more to say about that. But what I think is really underappreciated is how being nice and making the other person's experience more important than your own It's better in society, but it is not better if what you want is passion. Yes, go on. Well, it makes good sense that in society we respond niceness and we abhor narcissism and selfishness. But in a relationship, the real juiciness, the passion, the erotic connection, it really comes with something in between, which involves honoring your own experience and truly honoring your partner's experience. And we tend through conditioning, genetics, who knows what, it really doesn't matter. 
we tend to either be more focused on ourselves or be more focused on our partner's comfort. And it's when we really have both in mind that new conversations happen and passion continues to thrive through the decades of a relationship. And I guess I just want to add as well that in my opinion, having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. And so you describe that you and your wife have created that. And I, of course, have no way of knowing if that was modeled for you in childhood or it's something you've worked with a coach or a therapist or taken courses, you know, or it just naturally came to you. And it really doesn't matter which of those it is for this conversation. But for people who haven't had that modeled, I want to really be clear that having a wonderful, passionate, dynamic, gratifying relationship, which is juicy for decades, is a learnable skill. And if you don't have that, and it's important to you, then take the time to get some education. Absolutely. Now, what is the most important advice you can give to couples? Okay. Well, everything which isn't sex is foreplay. And what I mean by that is that if you want the gratification of a passionate marriage, then every single interaction with your spouse is either going to contribute to that or not. And I'm not talking about wearing lingerie all the time and being ultra flirtatious. That's all great. But I'm not talking about doing that all the time. I'm talking about using each interaction to build more connection rather than turn away from it. Because really any interaction can be used, whether there's agreement, disagreement, distance, wherever it is, starting, every interaction can be used to build more connection by virtue of it being an opportunity to get to know one another more deeply. Because the real like benefit and also problem in long lasting relationships is you have the safety and the comfort of feeling like you know your spouse very well, but we're all continuing to grow and evolve. And it's so important to continue to interact with your spouse as a new evolving person. Dr. Stockwell, how do you have a fantastic life? Well, first of all, I believe it's possible. That's the first step, right? And I have had a lot of loss in my life and my path to a fantastic life has actually been through a lot of grief and being willing not to just push it aside and not to be consumed by it, but to really feel it. And on the other side of truly feeling the grief and sorrow I've had in my life, there's all kinds of inspiration, creativity, passion, juiciness, and delight. That's cool. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to? My website is alexandrastockwell.com. And that is a great place to go. You can find free offers from me, my courses, how to coach with me, my podcast, my book, Uncompromising Intimacy, which is filled with all kinds of very 
practical tips to live in the way that I've described and all of that is at alexandrastockwell.com. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for the pleasure. Have a fantastic day. You too. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Did you know that you can get a free copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life? Yep. Just visit 13gpnow.ca and we'll send it right to you. That's the number 13gpnow.ca. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. We'll see you next week. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic day.